Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Odyssey Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi, and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train! Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. We're so happy you decided to join us this morning here on the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoors. Dan Bush and myself, Tom Neubauer, come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. And if you want to ask any questions or got any comments, all you got to do is call us at 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Or you can always email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. Anyway, good morning, Danny. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so you want to get right into it or you got something to go? Well, um, I was going to ask you a question, Tom, real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm on my next-door neighbor, Pewaukee. Uh, It's kind of like a neighborhood Facebook group. I'm pretty sure people in most every little burb probably have the same type of, you know, groups. And and a neighbor gal years ago asked me to sign up for it. And most of of the time, it's mindless, mindless you know, uh, where can I get the best deal on um, soap uh, at uh, Pick and Save or Piggly Wiggly? I mean, oh, in-depth questions like that, and I think you get a lot of lonely people at home who just want to converse with others, kind of like the Facebook thing. Uh, but then once in a while you get some serious questions. So here's the serious question, and I'll pose it to you, Tom, being as you're kind of like Farmer McGregor. Uh, wasn't that old McGregor had a farm? Anyway, um... Old McDonald. Huh? Old McDonald. Old McDonald had a farm. Right. Wasn't there a farmer McGregor somewhere? I never heard of one. That tried to kill rabbits or something? I never heard of that. Never heard? Okay, I'm flashing back (laughs) to some of my early childhood LSD trip days. So anyway... This uh, question was, she goes, how do I get rid of the darn rabbits in my yard? I'm tired of them digging holes and making their nests. My neighbors all have fences and dogs, uh, which means they're not bothering the neighbors. They're congregating in her safe haven. So what would Tom Neubauer's advice be to get rid of the bungee rabbits? Well, I know it's 
probably not legal, but I'd use a pellet gun. But Bingo. that's number one, a pellet gun. But otherwise, number two is cayenne pepper. Uh, you know, sprinkle the cayenne pepper around the plants, the borders of the plants. And hopefully that'll keep some of those nasty critters away. Really? Yeah, because cayenne. You know, they're smelling all the time. They got very sensitive noses, and if they get some of that cayenne pepper in their nose, they're not going to like that. So, so like, even if you wanted to keep them off the property, could you sprinkle it around the perimeter of your property and hope might, that that de- deters them? Well, that could take a lot of cayenne pepper, you know. Yeah, that you would know, take those, a lot. So I, 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 I just invested in a lot of stock in cayenne pepper, yeah, Tom. I'm, if, I really want to push those sales, buddy. Yeah, if it was just around, you know, your your vegetable plants, that's that's one thing. But around the whole property, I'm so you know, unless it's a pellet gun or having a dog, there's not or a cat, there's not much you can do about it, really. So my my suggestion would be the pellet rifle, and. Uh, you know, that's going to be one of those <clears throat> don't ask, don't tell type things. Yep, yep, exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, realistically, I asked a DNR warden one time, and he said, well, if there's a season going for it and there's a license, you can shoot it. But then you got to deal with the municipality's rules as far as discharging exactly. firearms. But honestly, I don't think there'd be a DNR warden worth his stripes that worry that would worry about somebody shooting a rabbit in their backyard out of season in the middle of summer in the city with a pellet rifle. I really don't think that they, anyone worth their salt would bother coming to issue a hunting rabbits out of season, <laughs> you know, for shooting one with a pellet rifle in your backyard. They got better things to do. Um, yeah. But you know, it's all kind of based on well, a pellet rifle is quiet. Uh, it's relatively, you know, it's it's not a high-powered firearm. Now, obviously, you want to shoot it in a safe direction, but if you're shooting towards the ground, which a rabbit obviously isn't necessarily seven feet tall, and you hit it, you you know, they 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 they, they you can they're not the toughest animal in the world. Now, of course, try and make it a quick, humane, uh, you know, kill, and you could probably bump them off quietly and. Uh, and do it that way. Now, the other thing is the old box trap. Tom, did you ever use box traps for rabbits as a kid? No, but I, I that's the one thing I didn't think of when you asked that question. I have live traps, and uh, they're metal live traps, and they work extremely well. And don't put a carrot in there. Put a part, like a half an apple. Yes, uh, rabbits yes. Lo- yeah, I think you told me that. Rabbits apples, apples. Yeah. work way, way better than carrots. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they had, that's, they came out with those metal traps. They were called Have a Heart. And I think it was spelled H-A-V-A-H-A-R-T, but obviously the play on words is Have a Heart. In, instead of shooting it with the pellet rifle like that barbarian Neanderthal Cro-Magnum man Tom Neubauer, have a heart and get it in a little trap and then take it out and release it like Elsa the lioness into the wilderness to live free and happy. Well, I'll tell you, when, when I trap them, I, I release them into a deep uh, well of water. Oh, uh, no, I Tom, a, I give them stop. a swimming, swimming lessons. Hit, usually hit the dump button, Sam. I can't believe you're going to let that get out to the general public. You're drowning the rabbits. Yeah, I, you got to get rid of them. 
Oh, come on. You truly are a barbarian. Why? Um, there's, why? There's too, there's too many of them. you got to get rid of them. Especially Tom, when they're decimating your gardens. Yeah. I, I, I think the... I, I, well, then you might as well just use the, the pellet rifle then. You know, once you got them in the trap, just get them with the pellet rifle. Um, you know, years ago... That's, a, that's I used another to, thing I do, too. That's I, you know, Yeah, I mean, make it... You don't have to drown them. Um, I, uh, I used to make rabbit traps as a kid, and uh, it, 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 was, it was a lot of fun. I, I remember for high school woodworking, Tom, well, everybody, you got to buy your wood and make your own project. So some of the skilled guys were making, like, I don't know, they were making all kinds of fancy things out of wood. They were making desks and tables and chairs. What does Dan Bush make? A rabbit trap. And I used some expensive wood. I don't think it was walnut. I don't think I was that stupid. Well, I might have been that stupid. I remember my shop teacher, also my wrestling coach, just shook his head. And then I slopped a bunch of red paint on it. And that was my rabbit trap. But there's several ways you can do it. One is with a spring on the side of the trap. And the other one is a pretty cool one where you got like a teeter-totter inside. And, and uh, when they step on that, it kind of flips and the door goes down. Kind of hard to explain, but I, I think I would like to, you know, I, if, I, if there was a local kid who wanted to build a rabbit trap, that would be a fun project for me to sit down with a kid and build a trap and show them how it works and let them go out and catch some rabbits because it used to, be, used to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the, the, the rabbits, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but rabbits will, when you said the person said that they, you know, dig a lot of holes, well, rabbits will have one hole you know, for their litter, for their little baby rabbits. But they'll dig one or two other fake holes to try to fool the predators, you know, and so that they don't know exactly where their holes are, you know, where the babies are. And one time I was walking, I was, actually I was cutting the grass, and uh, I stepped in one of these holes, you know. So it's like, okay. And there were six little little rabbits in there, maybe about, I don't know, five inches long. I gave them swimming lessons too. They oh. didn't. They didn't pass either. Oh, and then, Tom. And then I was cutting the grass one day. The front yard, which it's got a like a three-tiered, uh, what do you call it, lawn. And um, I stepped in one of the damn holes that they had, and I fell, twisted my ankle, fell down, and and it was close to the road. It fell into the road. A guy pulled over and asked me, he says, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm just embarrassed, you know. Had to fill up that hole. Uh, that was one of those fake holes. So, yeah, they were out to get me after so that. So I didn't, I didn't realize now, now like the babies that you, you know, gave swimming lessons, I mean, did they have their fur on and everything too? Uh, no, hardly oh. any, hardly oh, any. Oh, so, hardly okay, any. so they were really, you know, I've, I've found baby rat. I found one in a nest years ago. And I tried. We, we foolishly took it out of the nest, and it and it, it was just a tiny little thing, but it didn't adapt well. Uh, I remember we set it down, and it went running across the street, and it ran straight into a curb, and uh, oh. knocked itself senseless. So then I realized that that call it a hunch that that rabbit wasn't adjusting too well to human captivity, and I took it out in the field and let it go. So that was the end of my, uh, you know, trying to adopt a wild rabbit. But they, uh, unfortunately, rabbits sometimes in nests kind of 
they get the uh, they get the uh, uh, Taliban treatment where they get a lawnmower goes over the top and you know gets them and uh, so they yeah so they, unfortunately rabbits you know that's why rabbits breed so much Tom they, they uh, got to I mean rabbits think about it everything in the world is an enemy to the rabbit yeah from up in the sky to the ground to parasites bugs. Uh, you name it, uh, tolerimia, uh, everything is after the rabbit. What does the rabbit get to pick on? Grass, you know. <laughs> and, and the fruits and vegetables in your yard. <laughs> that's pretty much, I guess how, ra that's rabbit's predatory revenge is, yeah. is they get to go after Tom Neubauer's plants. Well, here's the thing. If, if, you know, if I could talk to the rabbits, right? I would grow them stuff, you know, like this little, I'd say, this little section is yours, eat all you want, this is yours, leave this other stuff alone, this is mine. I would do that for them, but they well, don't. Well, that way, you, they, you should talk to them, Tom, Dr. Newlittle. Yeah, but they don't, uh, they don't <laughs> listen to me, they, they, you know, and the funny thing is, like, if you grow cabbage, they'll eat part of, if, if you've got four heads of cabbage, they'll be part of every one of them. They won't eat a whole one. They'll just eat part of every one. If you have tomatoes, the, the low-hanging tomatoes, oh, they'll stand up there and they'll start grabbing them. They won't eat the whole thing. They'll eat part of it, and then they'll go on to the next one. I'll it, tell you, you know, just eat the whole thing, you know? I mean... Well, it's it's like eating eating pizza with your little brother years ago, and he'd take a bite out or lick every piece so that he'd get to keep all of them and start a big fight. So that's what the rabbit's doing. He's taking a bite out of everyone so that he gets them all because nobody else wants them once he's touched them. Yeah, well, he just better hope I don't get them in the trap. Yeah, okay, they're there to go for a swim. Okay. They'll go well, for listen. a swimming lesson that they never come back for from. Right. Uh, here's the other thing, too. Uh, when we come back after this first break, we got a very interesting and fun question from Cheesehead Chad in Chicago. He sent us an email this week, so we're going to have to help him out, Danny, okay? Cheesehead Chad. Chad? Ch Chad, yeah. Cheesehead Chad. Chad. Oh. All right. Hey, we're going to help Chad out. I always like yep. to do our part to help our listeners. Yep, we're going to help him out right after this commercial break. So, Chad, you and your son, stay tuned. We'll be right back, folks. You too, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Newlittle. He speaks to rabbits. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to our show. And uh, we especially take this time to thank law enforcement. We back the badge, first responders, healthcare workers, military. Thanks to all of you and thanks to all of our listeners listening right now. And Tom, uh, what do you got from Chad? All right, here's the email. It says, hello, Tom and Dan. Hey, guys, I'm a newer listener to the show this year and love the content. Last month, my 12-year-old son and I went on a road trip to Kentucky for a youth bas uh, baseball tournament, and we listened to 10 hours of your past podcasts on the Audacity app. Uh, we found the show really entertaining and informative. My son gets a good kick out of the gut report, Tom. 
So this fall, we'd like to get into some Okachi Lake muskie. Do you have any suggestions for the best tactics when fishing for fall muskie with young kids? Keep up the good work. Love the show. Cheesehead Chad in Chicago. You want to go first? No, you can, Tom. <clears throat> okay, what I would do, Chad, in the fall, now are we talking, I mean, early fall I'd be throwing bucktails a lot or rubber baits. Later fall, when it's nice and cold, I got the suckers out. Now, I'd always put, I would put three suckers out, one a little shallower, one a little deeper, and one on a bobber behind the boat, you know, set about average depth. Just uh, have three of them spread out different, different depths and just move around the outside weed lines where it's anywhere from 20 to 30 feet and just keep moving along, and hopefully one of them muskies is going to see them suckers and grab it. Uh, you know, early fall, you know, if it's September and October, uh, then, you know, I like casting bucktails. I like casting big rubber baits, uh, topwater baits if it's a nice day out. So, you know, you've got, you've got some options there, you know, bucktails, rubber, and topwater. But otherwise, I'd go be going with the suckers. So what about you, Danny? Uh, yeah, I, I initially right away thought of suckers. Now, as far as... As far as casting for muskies, um, I've, uh, I'm getting a little older and softer in my old age, and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, you, you beat yourself up. Ca as far as time spent casting productively versus time spent trolling productively or live bait fishing with suckers productively, that the, the trolling and live bait you know, it doesn't take as much work and can be really productive at times. So if I think if I had a kid, well, 12 years old, what I would do is I would go out in the fall, work some deep weed edges and, and, and work with suckers. But at the same time, I would multi-species fish. I would take night crawlers and small rods and reels, just like I do with kids out here, and use half a night crawler, whole night crawler, and just start catching some panfish and some bass. At the same time, you got a sucker or two out, and that way you can break up the boredom between, you know, the musky bites and still maybe have some action throughout the day and hope that you get that one or two or three exciting uh, big musky hits on a sucker that day and cover a lot of water. Yeah, there you go. But if it, you know, if it's late fall, if you're talking into November, you know, and it's getting kind of cold, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I wouldn't even bother casting then or anything just because your hands get wet and everything you start freezing so you know i just want to have a lot of warm clothes on and and you know and try to hit, hopefully hit the right areas my but, uh, huh my my other advice for oh, them chat yeah i was Chad just gonna say one other quick advice sure hire danny well hire you know Dan what Bush. thanks tom but i'm probably going to be i'm probably going to be deer hunting at that time I would call Paul Mahalik, you know, better call Paul, right? Yep. Better call Paul because Paul goes out in the fall and he actually had uh, had our friends at Fountain of Youth Boats build like an enclosure for his skeeter and he'll actually have a heater and a grill and be sitting in heat and comfort and, and giving you more food than you can imagine so you won't be getting cold and he catches a lot of fish and he'll be, you know, he'll have a bunch of suckers out. So yeah. you can relax in like the comfort of your own toasty warm living room with Paul 
and have a chance at a trophy muskie and get fed. I mean, well, it doesn't get any better than that. So I'd call right. Paul Mahalik and book a trip with him. Yep. For Cheesehead Chad, here's the number for Paul Mahalik. It's 414-520-0542. That's 414-520-0542. Better call Paul. There we go. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now, since we're talking fishing, um, I was out fishing, and uh, we were bass fishing at first. And I was a little slow, and uh, my son caught a couple of smallmouth, and but uh, not very big. And then he says, "I want some bluegills to take home for dinner." And I said, "Okay." So we started throwing the mini mites, and we were we were part. You know, we would be in like seven to nine feet of water casting to the deep side of the break. And sometimes we were in 20 feet of water casting to the shallow side of the break. Always, our baits were always in, let's say, they'd sink down to like 12 to 15 feet of water. These were suspended bluegills. And Danny, I'll tell you, uh, well, five, we kept 18 bluegill and two nice perch. Of the 18 bluegill, two of them well, that we had to keep them. They were casualties of war. You know, they had the mini mite way down in their throat, and they were bleeding. So we had they were about seven inches. We had to keep those. The other 16, I think it was five or six of them, and we measured these. They were nine and a quarter to nine and a half inches. They were hogs. They were big. And then the other ones were between eight and eight and a half inches. So these were all really, really nice bluegills. And we only caught about... I'd say about a dozen small ones that we had to throw back. They were really nice. Now, when we were in one spot, we tried with the plastics first because it was one of our favorite bass spots. We tried with the plastics, got nothing. Started casting for the bluegills, and we caught three really nice largemouth on the mini mite. So those darn mini mites, you just never know what you're going to catch on them, you know. And I'll tell you what, on light action rods, you get a 15, 16-inch largemouth on one of those light-action rods, man, I'm and four-pound test, man, I'm telling you, you got a fight on your hands. So so fishing was good. Eating was good. Uh, yeah, so that's what we did. Oh, and by the way, if people want to know what lake we were on, it was Oconomowoc. Oconomowoc has got a, a, a really good population of big bluegills. They really do. So, so you just gotta, you just got to find them, that's all. So let me ask you, uh, Tom, you, you, you use four-pound test mm-hmm. for your panfish uh, rods. What kind of line do you, do you use? Uh, I use Stren, clear blue fluorescent. Okay, four-pound. Um, I've been using, and I, I, I think Paul Mahalik turned me on to this, he likes the high-vis, uh, which the Berkeley uh, high-vis, it's kind of like the greenish color. And it's four pound, which I know you're going to tell me is actually six pound because it's XT. But it uh, four pound it, it XT. It is really. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you didn't have to tell me that. I just told uh, you. Yeah, knew but that you did anyway. Know. But you're doing it anyway. I, <laughs> I was know. doing a preemptive. You don't have to tell. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. okay. I'm kidding you. But um, anyway, I used that four pound. So six that that six pound that's labeled four pound XT that bright orange. Uh, you know, color and orange, uh, green, and that that works great. Now, the one thing that he does, which a lot, which 
cheap El Cheapo Dan Bush doesn't do is he's got very nice uh, panfish rods. They're longer, they're sensitive. I think they're St. Croix. Now, like me, I just have your basic old little cheap spinning rod and reel, and, uh, and, and they do give a good fight on that. But realistically, if you're a serious pan fisherman, uh, um, don't you think Paul's probably right? A longer, more sensitive rod is going to detect bites better. What what do you use? Oh yeah, six and a half foot light action. You you want to? I mean, let's put it this way: they'll cast a mini mite a lot further than like a five foot or five and a half foot ultralight. Gotcha. I like the light action, and not only that, but there's enough strength in the butt section that if you get a decent fish on, you have enough strength in the rod to fight it and get it in. Yes, I agree. And um, and do do you have some more expensive type graphite rods like St. Croix like he has or, or uh, what do you, what do you use? My son uses a seven foot St. Croix. I have, mine are a Sh- Shimano Skimitar. Okay. Um, they're, I don't even know what they cost. If I don't even know if they make that brand anymore. Uh, they were about $40. Okay. When, so they were like mid-priced, you know, not real mid, cheap, mid, not real expensive. Yeah, mid-range, because I'm yeah. I'm thinking, you know, most St. Croix, you have a hard time coming in uh, under that $100 price point. Oh, yeah, they're over 100 So, But, but, if you, but this, uh, this, this Strand Clear Blue Fluorescent that I use, it's, uh, you see, the fluorescence in it is activated by the ultraviolet rays of the sun. So I see the, the, the line above the water, but the... But the fish don't see it below the water because the water diffuses uh, those ultraviolet rays, okay? So it's clear to them, but I can see it because, and it shows up bluish, you know, right. above the water, yeah. It, you know, it, that's just like the ad. They used to have the ads in Outdoor Life magazine where they'd have the strand above the water, and yeah. then they'd have the strand going into the water, and you'd see it kind of glowing, that fluorescent kind of blue purple whatever and then underwater and their ad was um you see it fish don't and uh yeah i was a big believer i used all the way till age 15 i was a big believer in a zebco 33 and 12 pound strand and uh yeah caught some surprisingly big fish including i caught like a geez i caught like a 12 pound king salmon on that zebco 33 one time that was a fight let me tell you I, i imagine that was and right now we got to go to the bottom of the hour break. Uh, coming up next, folks, is the gut report. I hope uh, Chad's young son gets a kick out of it. <laughs> I, I got a kick out of that. Anyway, we'll be back, right back, right back, folks. If you got any questions or comments, four one four seven nine nine twelve fifty, or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo dot com. We'll be right back. Come here, I'm gonna eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. The gut report is brought to you by Discount Liquor. Okay, here here's the gut report for today because, you know, at this time of the year, we got a lot of vegetables, fruits, whatever going, so I like to use that for the gut reports. And this one is because there's a lot of corn out there. As a matter of fact, this is the cheapest I've seen corn on the cob in quite a while. But... Here's the recipe. It's New England corn chowder. Only six ingredients. Ready? One medium onion, diced. One 14-ounce 
bag of whole kernel corn, or if you, you know, you can cut it off the cob, whatever. Otherwise, frozen corn works just fine. One 14-ounce can of cream corn, uh, two medium potatoes diced, 12 ounces of, uh, a 12-ounce can of evaporated milk, and six tablespoons of butter. This is really easy now. You saute the diced onions in one tablespoon of butter until tender. Then you add the whole kernel corn and one half of the can of cream corn. Then add the diced onions. And this is a good time to add some salt and pepper. And just enough water to cover the potatoes. Now simmer the potatoes until they're tender. Add all the remaining ingredients. Reheat, stirring occasionally until hot. Now, if you like, like I do, I like a little bit thicker corn chowder. So if you like a thicker corn chowder, use cream instead of canned milk. I know one of my brothers, he uses half cream, half canned milk. You know, he uses half and half. But try it. New England corn chowder. And if you couldn't write everything down quick enough, just Google Cutting Edge Outdoors and listen to our podcast, and you'll be able to get it there. The Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor, where you're going to find the best price, selection, and service at 51st in Oklahoma in Milwaukee and Main Street in Barstow in Waukesha. For weekly specials, go to DiscountLiquorInc.com. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are presented by Baitmate Fish Attractants. Don't forget to take the Baitmate with you. Uh, I always make sure I got some of the, the Baitmate uh, Bite Stick Max. You kind of rub that like a, kind of a, a crayon, crayon type or chapstick type thing. Put that paste on the side of your crankbaits for trolling and spray the other stuff on your mini mites and it'll work great there, Tom, as you well know. Um, can I make a quick announcement here, Tom? Well, sure. Why not? Okay, so here's one thing that uh, can slip by people. Um, you know, it's hard to, it's really hard to fathom at this point that we're talking deer season coming up. I mean, it's hard to believe it's middle of October. I mean, August already. It just seems like it was Memorial Day yesterday, uh, and the summer flies by. But we're, you know, deer hunting is upon us. And uh, August 16th, there, the sales for bonus management zone specific uh, antlerless permits will go on sale. Now, here's the deal. Um, August 16th, at, starting at 10 a.m., they will be selling antlerless tags for the northern and central forest zone, which is zone one. August 17th, 10 a.m. again, Central Farmland Zone 2, the 18th of Southern Farmland Zone 2, and the 19th, all remaining bonus harvest authorizations. Now, you can go online at the Go Wild system. What they're saying is you can go on at 9.45 a.m., and apparently they're going to have some kind of a online queuing system, whatever the heck that is, which will be put in place to manage the volume in the Go Wild system. 
and at 10 a.m. all online users will be randomly assigned a number and staged into the virtual queue. So there is no advantage for customers who enter the site before 9.45 a.m. So I guess if you're in a zone like where I hunt up by, uh, I think I'm in central farmland zone too, uh, Monroe County, private land, uh, there's always more than enough left over. I mean, I don't even have to worry about, you know, trying to buy them right away. There's, shoot, there's plenty of them. Uh, I think I'll probably get two this year when I buy my license. But uh, some of those other zones, particularly that northern and central forest zone where up in Douglas County, I think uh, for a couple of years it was bucks only. I think last year they did have the antler list. Uh, I believe my brother had an antler list tag last year. Uh, I'm thinking maybe they have those, but they're on a limited basis. So I'm guessing that that August 16th, which uh, my mental math tells me is uh, is Monday. That's probably going to be the big day for people that are trying to get it, a tag for up there. All right. Yeah. It's so. a, yeah, it's you know it's good for people to start thinking about that now because, like you said, it's not far away. It's very yeah, close. Yeah. So it, deer deer season's coming up. I I think I'm going to. Uh, yeah, that's probably on my to-do list this weekend. Buy my deer license. Uh, I think I'm going to have to buy a bear license. Now that's different than a harvest uh, harvest tag because I, you know, I don't have a bear harvest tag. But I'll be going up with my friend Jeff and helping him bait for bear. And I think anytime you are involved with baiting at all, you yourself have to have a bear hunting license as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I never understood that, but... Well, it's just another good way for the DNR to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, and, and back to uh, Chad, Cheesehead Chad, I would, I would also say, you know, he mentioned going to Okachi. Now, maybe he knows somebody's on the lake or whatever. Uh, maybe that's why he picked Okachi. But I would recommend to him, don't forget Pewaukee Lake. You know, Pewaukee Lake's got a great muskie population, and that's... Uh, Paul Mahalik's home base, I would guess. But right. uh, but I would not, even though Oconomowoc Lake is a good musky lake too, I wouldn't recommend it for a beginner. Only if, you, if you've never been on Oconomowoc Lake, going down the river and launching by the dam, that, that, let's put it this way, you should be with somebody first the first time, you know, doing that. Um, that can be kind of hair-raising at times, you know, and you don't want to screw up your propeller. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's, you got to trim way up, and, uh, yeah, and I've always, yeah, I've, I, and that's what's kept me from fishing there, is, uh, it just becomes kind of a pain, but, I mean, I, it's kind I, of a, uh, go ahead, it's kind of an adventure, I guess, going down that stream. It is, uh, right, as a matter of fact, when we went down it this past week, uh, right next to us were, was, a what do you call those big, tall birds? They got a big long beak and they're trying to pick off little fish. God, they got pelican. a pelican. Huh? A what? Pelican, swan, stork. No, not pelicans. Crane. Or Some kind of crane, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they stand about God four, three, four feet high. And uh, but anyway, uh, there were some right next to us. I mean, and they they didn't even move. We were going down the river. But one thing I'll tell you, I've never bottomed out my propeller in that river even though there's a couple of pretty shallow spots i just would just trim up the motor a little bit more you know i've never never bottomed out on it 
Now well, anybody anybody trying to go down there with an inboard, oh, they're in pro, they're in trouble. They, they ain't well, good. You know, as far as the propeller, um, I guess I used to worry almost too much about it. Hey, you can you can ding and bang a propeller and get some nicks and some dents and this and that. And if you, as long as you're going slow, yeah, you don't necessarily you know. Uh, you know, it necessarily wreck anything other than just getting it all dinged and banged up. I did always carry an extra propeller with me when I'd go to Lake of the Woods. Oh, and yeah. you know what? I've still got that sitting new in the box downstairs. You know, I've never had to use it. I got maybe a one ding on my prop, but uh, you go slow. That's the thing. Go slow, trim up, take her slow, and don't, as long as you're not hitting anything going all out. Yeah, I've got a, a manual handheld grinding wheel, and yeah, my son, he's got a, he's got some dingers in his prop, you know. So uh, every year, once a year, I just check it out and I, I grind them smooth and and then file them down so that they're you know nice and smooth, and and try not to screw up the cupping, you know, of the prop. And uh, so yeah, I mean that's all a person's got to do. You get like you say, you get those little nicks. I always had though. I always had stainless steel props later on in life, and when I was younger, I had the aluminum. But uh, later on, I had a lot of stainless steel props, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what—it takes a lot to screw them up. You really got to hit something hard. <laughs> well, I didn't get the stainless steel prop because I was told that you know you'd all you'd almost rather have the prop give than something internally you know wreck something. Where if you hit something hard with the stainless steel prop. If that if that prop doesn't give, something else might give, and yeah, you're, you're worse off. So that's gears. why I stuck with aluminum. Yeah, your spline gears will give. But a number of years back, Mercury, who's the biggest stainless steel prop maker in the world, they uh, they came out with a, a slip uh, spline, the the middle part, you know, that slides on, uh, you know, to to the, your lower unit, the middle yep. part of the prop is actually. Uh, it's a it's a plastic spline, so that if you do hit something hard, it slips, and it won't it won't break the shaft or anything. So, so so anyway, it's a yeah. So those plas- are really nice. A, a plastic spline, yeah, which is a, nice. Got a plastic you... middle, and you can buy extra ones, so that if you do hit something hard and it and it spins that thing. You just take the old one out, put a new one in, and you're good to go. Oh, by the way, we got an email. Uh, Ron Heidenreich says that that bird that we were talking about is a blue heron. That's a what blue heron. A blue heron, yep. How does he know it was blue? I don't know. Did you say anything about it being blue? No, but that's the name of those things. I've heard that before plenty of times. You know, blue heron. So, right. I've heard it before. Okay, well that's good. We're defining all our birds there. I got the old yeah. Kaufman Field Guide to Nature here in front of me. Well, right now it is time for us to play the Hornschwaggle, and the Hornschwaggle is brought to you by Carl's Country Market out there in Menominee Falls on the corners of Pilgrim Road and Silver Spring. All things meats and sausages, and like a little grocery store and seafood and all that good stuff. And then you got. Uh, also brought to you by Baitmate Fish Attractants and Coleman Insect Repellents. Now, if you win, you'll get a $10 gift certificate to Carl's, and you'll get a nice prize package from uh, Baitmate and Coleman. So to be a contestant, 
first of all, you can't have one in the last two months. And number two, you got to call right now, 414-799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Be a contestant in the Hornschwaggle and see if you can win some nice prizes. We'll be right back with it. To the Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors, I'm Dan Bush along with Tommy, the true Neubauer. He talks to rabbits and has many other talents, but right now, excuse me, um, sneeze coming on there. Um, Right now we've got our world famous, long anticipated, much loved Hornswoggle. Who do we got there, Sam? Today we got Char and Waukesha. Char and Waukesha. Hi, Char. Hi. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. I hope you win. Uh, I'm going to make the statement. If uh, if I'm uh, lying, if I'm not telling the truth, it's a hornswoggle. Uh, if I'm uh, t- uh, telling the truth, no hornswoggle. Okay, so here we go. Uh, today's topic uh, is uh, is firearms calibers. Uh, I've got uh, hunting on the brain now with uh, deer season coming up. So here we go. Okay, now these first two aren't necessarily deer calibers. Uh, the 223, the 223, and the 5.56 NATO round, 223 and 5.56 are almost identical cartridges. Hornschwaggle or no Hornschwaggle? No. No Hornschwaggle. No Hornschwaggle. Very correct. Very correct. Oh, yes. What is that? Yeah. Like, uh, now, you got to check your firearm specific, but like my Ruger Mini Ranch, um, from what I've, what I've seen, will fire both. There's a slight difference in the dimensions of the cartridge or case, I believe. Uh, but virtually identical as far as ballistics. Okay, so your you're one for one sounds like you might have flipped the coin and got lucky on that one, Char, but that's good. <laughs> we want you to win. So, okay, next one. Okay. The Venerable. Venerable. Uh, let me tell you guys, if you ever read gun magazines, look for it. You, the gun writers love to use the word venerable more than any other word in the English language. Venerable. So here we go. I'll use it too. The venerable 3030 cartridge and the 32 Winchester Special. They are two different cartridges, but ballistically speaking, their ballistics are almost identical. Hornschwaggle or no Hornschwaggle? Um, a Hornschwaggle. No, well, that's a no Hornschwaggle. No oh, Hornschwaggle. Yep. It's a no horn schwaggle. They they are nearly ballistically identical. Okay. Oh. But you got you're one out of one. You're okay. you're, you're you're I mean you're one one and one. So you gotta get this next one. Jack okay. O'Connor. Jack O'Connor, the world famous um, gun writer, wrote for Outdoor Life magazine. His favorite cartridge, his favorite cartridge was the seven millimeter magnum. 
Jack O'Connor's favorite cartridge that he touted and wrote about all the time was the 7mm Magnum. That's a uh, Hornschwaggle. Hornschwaggle. Good, Char. Uh, do you know what was his favorite? Do you know what his favorite cartridge was? No, I don't. No, it was the the it was the venerable 270 Hello? Winchester. He Jack O'Connor was one of the guys that basically put the 270 on the on you know on every sportsman's radar. He basically said you could handle most all of North American game with the 270 Winchester and a proper load. There was no need for a Magnum cartridge. Now that'll be sharp. 3030. What's that? 3030? Nope. No, the 3030, uh, nope. Uh, Jack Jack O'Connor was a, fa- a fan of the 270 Winchester, the flat shooting type cartridges. He hunted out west mostly. 3030 is more a woods cartridge. That's oh. a favorite of many a Wisconsin, northern uh, Minnesota, you know, Midwestern type hunters in the big woods. So, But that's still a darn good, darn good cartridge. But anyway, you did win, so make sure, Shar, oh. that you leave your address with Sam, and you can expect to get your prizes in the mail in about a week or two. Sounds good. Thanks okay. so much for letting me play. Sir. You betcha. Thanks for listening. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm glad we got a winner. Yes, it's always good Good to have a winner. Tom, did you know that one on Jack O'Connor? No, I had no clue. I guess, you, you know, you really are more a fisherman then. I am. Um, I mean, that's yeah, what I spent because, my life doing. That was my yeah, you, occupation for many years, you know. Not reading not reading much about hunting then or I calibers mean, and stuff. I, I read, but not like you do. Not like I you, mean, no. Yeah, because anybody who's done a fair amount of reading would be well acquainted with Jack O'Connor. He wrote books. Uh, he was an outdoor writer for uh, uh, Outdoor Life for many years. Uh, one of the legends, one of the legends in the industry. So, yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. Hey, and let's I talk about. Let, huh? Go ahead. I was going to say I want to let people know that at seven o'clock I got some breaking news. After the seven o'clock clock break, I got breaking news here on the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Break- Outdoors. Breaking news. Breaking news. Yep. Oh, uh, can you even like give us a hint, Tom? Nope. No hints. Oh, come gotta on. Tune in. Is it about tune fishing? In. Huh? Is it about fishing? No. Hunting? Yes. Okay, all right. Well, that's that's good. That's a tantalizing tease. Speaking of hunting, and I know we got to go to break in a couple of minutes, August 19th, uh, there's going to be a Wolf Management Plan Committee virtual meeting, and you can actually uh, listen or log on to the link and watch a live stream of the meeting. But from what it looks like, Uh, It looks like you'll just be listening to a committee talking about the wolf management in Wisconsin. I don't think you'll be able to say a gosh darn thing about it. So uh, that's what is concerning uh, the 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 breaking news at seven o'clock. Oh wow! I actually uh, touched on it. Yeah, we're gonna got got some interesting stuff, and hopefully, we'll have some input from our audience. Uh, all they got to do is call us at 414-799-1250 if they have some comments on what I'm going to comment about. So, well, you're we'll just going to say you're just going to say like Troy Landry, shoot, shoot them all, <laughs> shoot them, <laughs> Liz, shoot, shoot. 
or aren't you going to say shoot Elizabeth? <laughs> uh, Liz. Yeah, well, shoot Liz. Shoot. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, he te- he teamed up with her for a while. He was pretty good. Uh, they got that good. on regular TV now, over the air TV. Oh, they do. Before yeah. I had to watch it on cable, uh, or at you know on cable, but now they got it on over the air TV now. The, what is it called? Swamp People. Yeah. yeah. I, what what amazes me is that they can kill those gators with just a twenty two rimfire, yep. and but they got it. They just must know the soft spot right on the top of the head. Yeah. Uh, they said it's about the size of a quarter. Is that what they say? Yeah. That they got a hit. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing that I when I watch that is you know I, I was reading an article on gator hunting and and they can be like even dead and all of a sudden still be clamping and chomping their jaws and thrashing around and those guys they whack them and then they drag them right in the boat um i'm thinking maybe they tape up their mouths afterwards though because yeah i I never on on the show they don't it doesn't look like they do that you know no they just they just drag them right in i guess but i I was yeah Go get, and sometimes they'll have a dozen of those darn things in the boat, you know. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they can scratch, even you know, like things move when they're dead. Yeah. You know, they kind of like they can have the like the nerves, you know, the legs and yeah. claws and mouth going still. Yeah, you could get scratched or bit. Or I ain't taking a boat ride with those things. No, even me if neither. even if Liz know. shoots, even after Liz shoots them, shoots them, <laughs> I'm out of there, man. I'm not in that boat. Uh, same here. Well, anyway, we got to go to the top of the hour break, folks. Stay tuned. We got another hour coming of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Odyssey Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. All aboard! Ha, ha, ha! You're on the crazy train! All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. That's right, folks. It's the second hour of power with your hosts, Dan Bush, and me, Tom Neubauer. I like the way that rhymes. Anyway, if you want to contact us here on the show, as you can every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. on uh, on uh, on this station. <laughs> oh, sometimes I have uh, little lapses. Anyway, uh, you can always call us at 414-799-1250. Or you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. Okay, Danny and Sam, uh, sorry for my little goof up there. What? You goofed up again, Tom? Again? Oh, yeah, that happens, yeah. Well, that's anyway, here's the, here's the big news. Now, first of big all... Big news. Okay, first of all, our audience has got to realize that when the DNR comes out with uh, a wolf hunting limit that the Chippewa consider wolves sacred and refuse to hunt them. If the tribes claim their full half of the quota, then the state licensed hunters will only get half. So 
the weenies, the DNR weenies, wanted to cap the fall wolf hunt at 130 animals, which means only 75 could have been killed because the Chippewa uh, tribes could have got the other 65. Well, the conservative side said, hey, you bunch of weenies, you want, you know, we're, we, you got to up that limit. And so they upped it to 300. But still, you got to remember that the Chippewa tribes still get half of that. So there's only actually 150 you can hunt. Now, one of the things uh, that, you know, that, 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 they, that they made the weenies go up with their amount was because they said, look, you said you wanted a, a 350 animals, you know, 350 wolves in Wisconsin. There's well over a thousand. As a matter of fact, there's probably a two thousand. But there's well over a thousand. So how can you only say you want to shoot uh, sixty-five of them? You know, there should. You know, actually, Danny, there should be a, a, a limit of like they should put out there six hundred. You know, and then you, you know that then the Chippewa would get three hundred of which you're not going to use anyway. Those tags, and then other hunters in the state would get three hundred. Uh, I mean, 300 is still low because all that's going to be shot are 150. So, but well, that, that's the news coming out. Well, my 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 first thoughts is that y- you're really amazing at that mental math, Tom. And uh, my second thought is that you are right. They really should plan for the fact that the tribes are not going to shoot the wolves. Um, I think. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think there are you know, definitely a lot of wolves in the state now, and and um, I'm not against the wolves necessarily. Uh, I just wish maybe there'd be a little bit more opportunity for hunting. Kind of the same thing with the elk thing, you know. I don't even bother putting in because I think there's no chance I'll get a tag. Although my brother, I should take that back. My brother did get a tag years ago, and... Um, and I do believe I have a preference point, but I think you have to put in every... If you don't put in within three years, you lose your preference points anyway. Well, this is what the the DNR weenies said. The, the State Department of Natural Resources scientists, backslash weenies, uh, asked the policy board to cap the kills at 130 animals. Don't forget, read that, 65 animals saying board members must be cautious because the four-day season in February took place during wolves breeding season and the long-term ramifications on the populations are unknown. What do you mean it's unknown? If you kill a hundred of them, that's the, that's the ramification. There's a hundred of them dead. These, these, I'm, the, the, the weenies are the, the DNR scientists. Those are the weenies. You know, they're, they're talking out of their mouth. They're, again, and I hate to use this reference again, but this is another time when when these guys are peeing on your legs and saying it's raining. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It was a big old long article, and I'm not going to bore you with all of it, but that was basically the gist of it, okay? They wanted to have a, a, a smaller wolf hunt, but people who knew, knew better said, no, you got to have more. But still, they could have had more than what they're doing. So anyway, so are you going to try to get one of them wolf tags? 
No, as I was uh, just ex- well, I don't know. Maybe maybe next year. I think it's too late for this year already. I I, I don't know. I I guess. Yeah, I was I'll looking probably... in the story about when when the deadline is to apply for it. I I didn't see it. You know. I suppose when I go on to my Go Wild account yeah, here, I'll, it'll, uh, be in there. I'll pro- uh, it'll probably be there. But my, yeah. you know, my other thought is that, uh, you know, based on your description of the DNR, that they must be sponsored by Oscar Mayer, <laughs> and or you just discovered the word weenie and it's your newest and favoritest <laughs> word, or no, D, all of the above. That, that's what these these guys, they're, they're animal, I mean, no, they're... They're probably backed by some animal rights group, you know, uh, and they knew they had to come up with some number for a hunt, and they tried to make it as low as possible. Uh, and yeah, I just I, thought that sounds like a bunch of weenies. That's all. I, I don't I don't think, Tom, it's the DNR biologists that are... Yeah, that's, are, what, the, that's what the story said. The I, DNR I think uh, it's, biologists, yes. That's what... Uh, that, I don't know, I... I would think it's more the outside groups, like you mentioned, like, uh, uh, well, I, like the Sierra Club or something like that, one of these environmental animal rights type groups. I, I think they've infiltrated these committees and that they're, you know, that the DNR is getting an earful from them. Uh, if it is the DNR biologists, well, then basically they're, they're, they're talking out of two sides of their mouth because you're right. Years ago, they said they wanted a sustainable population of about 350. And the fact that we're definitely well over that and they're being still so stringent and, uh, uh, you know, stingy with putting out the wolf permits tells me they want to have more than 350 wolves in the state. Yeah, exactly. You got that right. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, I think that... They ought to, you know, they micromanage turkeys and everything else where you got zone this, zone that, zone, that, you know, uh, you know, why not make there's some make it some zones for the, the wolves where let's get up there in, 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 the, in those counties where the wolves really are, you know, bad as far as the deer population is way down and those poor deer hunters are taking a beating. Why not have a certain amount for certain areas? To, to you know thin them out in the areas where they're thick and if there's areas where you don't think there's a whole lot of them keep that off limits i don't care it doesn't have to be a statewide scent hunt maybe target it a little bit and try and get rid of them in the areas where they're a bit of a nuisance now yeah and the main nuisance that they are besides the deer population is livestock farmers livestock is man i'm telling you they're i mean it, it's easy food the cows and and the cattle I mean, the, 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 the sheep and that. But, you know, what's one of the funny things that I've read about the wolves and what they do is that they'll kill without eating. You know, they'll, they, you know they, they might kill, you know, a dozen sheep, but they're only going to eat one. The rest of them, they just kill for killing's sake. And this is a strange thing about wolves, why they do that, you know. I mean, I, you can understand them taking down an animal to, just to, you know, to eat it because they got to eat. But why kill a whole bunch of other ones and just leave them lay? That that I well, don't understand about them. Well, my my first thought on that, Tom, is it's probably going to be a mystery because it's really hard to talk to the wolves. Although yeah, I know you've exactly. been you talked about you know talking to the rabbits. Maybe if you could branch out and talk to the wolves as well and ask them why why do you do this? But 
my other answer would be that's the way God made them. So that's uh, it is what it is. That's right. It is what it is, and that's why. And actually, actually, you know, there is a purpose in every ecosystem for you know when you talk about the food chain. I mean, I and one part of me thinks that you know the wolves might not be bad in a sense that if they can get some of the dying or the sick or the old out of the deer herd, especially now we're complaining about chronic wasting disease and everything else, maybe they can be a management tool that, to benefit in some way, uh, however small, but maybe there is some good purpose for them. There always is a purpose for for everything in life. Although I, I know, Tom, you just think the only good wolf is a dead wolf. No, um, I think that, that the wolves are very happy up in Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah, you want to keep them up in Canada. Yeah, let them go to Canada. We'll take we'll take pictures and put the pictures on TV. We'll take videos and put that on TV. You, you, you can see them in books and TV and whatever, yeah. You just got, well, I, I still don't get why you don't like them well, in Wisconsin. Well, they just don't get along with humans. That's all. Well, That's you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Like uh, up on our land a couple years ago, uh, well, I think my brother saw one from a deer stand once. Uh, one morning they were howling, uh, opening a deer season down the river valley, and it was that foggy, foggy opener where the whole all of Wisconsin was under a thick fog, and it was really cool, cool and eerie. Uh, and then uh, uh, one of my cousin's kids actually saw a black one, a white one, and a gray one uh, going down the middle of the Namaji River when it was froze a couple of years ago. So I, I think it's cool to be able to go out and see wolf tracks up there and know that I have a chance of maybe someday seeing a wolf in the wild. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't yet. You've been out a lot, you know. But well, I haven't again, been they up... do try to, if, as long as they're fed, they try to do stay away from humans, you know. I, have, I haven't been up there a lot. Uh, they are very cagey. Now, like my brother yeah. spotted one, from a deer stand, and he was well concealed way up, but that wolf, he said, somehow detected him and was out of there like a phantom. So they are extremely wary. Well, think about it, Tom. You realize how smart a dog can be, right? Yeah, I mean, you think about yep. it. There are some yep. very intelligent dogs. I mean, uh, people, there's dog lovers right out, out there now, you know, knowing that, you know, they can talk to their dog, and their dog understands them, and... Uh, uh, think about it. The wolf is, you know, their great, great relative, and they have to be extremely cagey just for survival. And yep. uh, so, yeah, you're dealing with a highly intelligent predator in the wolf. Okay, and if anybody's got any comments, you can call us at uh, 414-799-1250 or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. Fishing coming up next, Danny. How about that? All right, sounds good. All right, we'll be right back, folks, with that and more here on the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are presented by Baitmate Fish Attractants. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tommy the True Newbauer. So thanks for getting on board the crazy train. 
Yeah, I hope everybody's got their tickets punched because, you know, sometimes we go off the rails, talk about some silly things, but today, you know, it seems like lately, I was talking to somebody the other day, Danny, and they said that it seems like when John was alive, the show was much goofier. It seems like you and me are more straight shooting you as far as fishing and hunting stuff. You know, you know how John liked to get off on tangents and stuff, you know, about other weird stuff. But well, anyway, huh? The thing is, John didn't mean to be goofy. No, he just was. <laughs> he just was goofy. <laughs> that was his nature, yeah. But anyway, oh, wait a minute. We got an email coming in here. This is from Kenneth. It says, Tom. Do you fish mini mites under a bobber or with a small split shot about 24 inches above it? No, I do not. I fish them with a bobber in spring because I'm fishing in three, four, five feet of water, you know, fishing shallow water. So then I'll use a bobber. But after that, no, I don't use a bobber. Uh, I'm fishing uh, along deep weed line edges generally under boat docks. I mean, here's the thing. If you're fishing shallow water, use a bobber. If you're not don't use a bobber. And when I'm fishing crappies, it's deep weed line edges. And let's face it, there's a lot of bluegills there too. Uh, so, and I don't put a split shot above it. And yes, sometimes I'm upset that it takes longer for it to get down when, you know, when those fish are suspended. But I just find that it's just, I, I just don't use a split shot above it. I don't. I just take my time. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Okay. And that's it. Uh, let me do this here. Okay. I was going to say that, you know, we're coming up in a, oh, geez, it's not that far away. Another week or two, or it's September. And, um, one thing, uh, my boys and I like to do is we will go up for a couple of days up to the Manaqua area, uh, in the fall. And, uh, boy, you know, we catch a lot of walleyes, bass, northern pike. We don't fish for the, the muskie. Uh, we, but we catch a lot of the walleyes, bass, and pike. And, uh, but down here, we catch some really nice pike in the fall. And starting in September, I mean, once it starts getting a little cooler, especially October, we catch some really nice pike. And our area lakes, some of those area lakes do have good pike in them. Now, we all know that Pewaukee has had a great turnaround as far as pike. And there's some dandy pike in Pewaukee. There's really nice ones in Nagawica, too. A lot of small ones, too, but a lot of nice, you know. And I'm talking nice ones in that 35-inch range, give or take a few inches. Uh, some of the other lakes now, uh, Oconomowoc, they don't have a lot of pike. I mean, you catch them every now and then, but um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever caught a decent one out there. They don't have a lot of them. Uh, but uh, the area lakes... You know, some of the area lakes, they got a lot of pike, maybe not big ones, but I'll tell you, Pewaukee and Nagawicka, they got some darn nice pike in them. So this fall is a time to go out there and get them. Now, normally we catch them on just the half-ounce uh, spinnerbaits with, uh, the you know, the big oversized blades and that. Uh, you know, we catch them on those. But I think this year I might be throwing some MEP spinners, you know, like those, uh, what are the muskie killers? They're, it seems like... You know, I know muskies will grab them too, but they're not as big as like the typical bucktails that you see that are real big bucktails. The MEPS uh, muskie killers are a little bit smaller, 
and I think they're the perfect size for northern pike, you know, big enough to make a bigger pike want it, but yet small enough that uh, other fish will grab it too. You know, I've caught bass on those as well. So do you like those, the MEPS musky killers, Danny? Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up as a kid. That that would be one of the top top baits in my uh in my tackle box was a meps musky killer and those smaller size meps bucktails you oh, know yeah. if you had that yeah. and a daredevil and a rapala and maybe a johnson silver minnow you were pretty much set to catch most any pike that swims anywhere in the world between one of those it would normally work yeah that's true they would they would definitely work i mean and there's been certain lures that you know, through through down through the years, they've been like staples. You know, and, uh, you and know, they always catch fish. Uh, like you know, we said the Meps, the Rapalas, uh, Beetle Spins. Uh, you know, there's just there's certain ones that are all, have been good for years. You know, Dare, and Daredevil for years. Yeah, and and you know, for years I'd catch pike not just on Daredevils, but you could buy cheap knockoff spoons oh, yeah, just basic yeah. knockoff ones that were a little bit lighter actually the actual daredevil actually did tend to sink sometimes and get snagged so sometimes you could go to oh i don't know Shopko, or you could go to kmart or whatever uh, and sometimes do you remember they used to have like a fish basket hanging up with all kinds of spoons hanging on oh, them yeah, just, sure, yeah. Sure, yeah that was kind of a common thing wasn't it and yeah you know you know what else is really good on the daredevils the larger ones, uh, even on smaller ones, but especially the larger ones like that they'd use for muskie and for lake trout and pike, uh, is if you tie on some white bucktail on the back of the hook so that the spoon, you know, wobbles one way, the hook is going the other way, it, it's so in, it really looks enticing. It really looks good. It, it, it does give it a sexy, sexy action. You know, as far as daredevils, too, now, for years, we had the the black and white, and then we had the red and white, and the five of diamonds. Well, since that time, you can go and buy all kinds of colors of daredevils, especially in the midsize. And I've found some of the crazier colors and patterns would work fantastic for the brown trout off the Kenosha Pier this time of year. Uh, they were a heavier spoon. So, I mean, not just using Cleos, Crocodiles, and Mr. Champs. You could go out there with daredevils and sometimes just clean up especially if you're fishing deep water you could count them down and get them down deep and uh caught a lot of nice brown trout on the daredevils yeah as a matter of fact uh you know when i was a kid i had uh some of those black and white knockoffs i never caught a fish on the black and white it was either had to be the red and white or the five of diamonds you know you're right you're right about that. The only fish I ever remember seeing caught on a black and white daredevil was there was this kid named Todd at Wood Lake Bible Camp. And I was like 13 years old and this kid named Todd went out on the swim raft and caught about a, a two and a half pound largemouth that, you know, a couple of years later when he was back at camp was a five pound largemouth when he <laughs> told the story. But I remember this dorky kid named Todd caught a fish on a black and white daredevil. That's the only fish I've ever seen caught on a black and white. Do they yeah. even make black and white anymore? Uh, they probably do. You probably find them at a, at a Walmart or something, you know. They probably do. 
And you know what? I used red and white all the time. Maybe had I used black and white as often as I used a red and white, maybe I would have had success with it. It's just that I don't think I ever really had confidence in that one. Yeah, um, either. Red and white was just the cooler one to use. Got a question for you. A little okay. trivia question, all right? Gotcha. Okay. All right. Do you know what the Daredevil was called before its name was changed to the Daredevil? What was uh, it originally called? Um, uh, I, I told uh, this to you a long time ago, years ago. I know. I I, I know. I know you did. Um, and then, uh, well, Daredevil, that has something to do with a fighter pilot, I believe. Right, in World War One, the Daredevils here were called, yeah. Right, right. Um, uh, I don't know. I can't it, remember. It was called the Osprey. Osprey, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's what that's they were right. called originally. But then after, when the World War One started, and that's how long Daredevils have been around. They've been around a long time. Uh, so they were they were popular before World War One, and then when World War One came around, uh, one of the uh, the F, F, I forget his first name, but Mr. Eppinger. I think uh, it was Lou. It was Lou, Lou Eppinger. Eppinger. Yeah, Lou Eppinger. He uh, changed the name in honor of the Daredevil fighter pilots. They were called Daredevils because those planes weren't the greatest back then, you know. And uh, so he changed the name back in. Uh, well, that'd be around 1917-ish, whatever, or 18. So just think, Daredevils have been around a long, long time, you know. And they, you know what? And they're still being sold today. Still being sold. People are still buying them. I think they're mostly used in Canada now. Wouldn't you think? Um, I think I think uh, the Daredevil is has always been a mainstay in Canada. The big color for Pike up there, I believe, for years was the five of diamonds right. with the kind of copper backing. Uh, um, right. That, uh, and I don't know if that's because the big Pike would feed on, you know, golden-colored walleyes, you know, or you know, or what the deal is, or because of the water or whatever. But for some reason, that five of diamonds one has always been associated with Canadian pike fishing. Yeah, and they also use them for trolling for lake trout. You know, the big daredevils trolling. For oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, you're right. They use those big giant. I got, you know what? I got some of those big giant daredevils in my tackle box. You want to know when the last time I used them? <laughs> a long time ago? Probably never. But, you know, <laughs> a guy should take one along and chuck them for muskies once in a while. Um, you know, I'll bet somebody who's caught a lot of muskies like Jim Dembeck could probably tell me he's caught one on a big spoon once in a while because... Nobody ever uses them a lot, but Tony Rizzo in his book years ago, he talked about all his big muskies. He'd chronicle them, and, and I think he said about 5 to 10% of the big muskies that he caught were on spoons. Yeah, many, many years ago, I wrote an article for Muskie Hunter magazine. The title was called The Forgotten Lure, Spoons. And it was all about spoons, you know, the, and mainly the daredevils, you know, mainly those. And I mean, yeah. really, years ago they were they were the forgotten lure, and they still are. You know, and you know, don't use them. One of the best ways to work a spoon, and then we'll go to break, and especially a Johnson Silver Minnow, uh, is when you're winding it, pause it and let it flutter down, and then resume the retrieve. And sometimes burn it to the top of the water, and sometimes I've seen 
pike just just roll and nail it right when you're burning it to the top of the water but doing that erratic kind of bring it to the top let it flutter down i mean sometimes they'll smack it on the flutter down it just drives them nuts yeah and you know you're right changing your speeds changing your cadence yeah that that makes a big difference with spoons big difference yeah you're right and with that folks and if you got any questions you know where to get a hold of us uh, with that, we're going to go to the quick bottom of the hour break. So stay tuned. You're listening to 1250 AM, The Fan. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tom Neubauer. We are presented by Bait Mate Fish Attractants, coming to you live from Wisconsin, the 23rd ranked best state to own a firearm in. Tom, uh, recently uh, I've got a uh, list here, courtesy of Guns and Ammo Magazine, and out of uh, 50 states right now, Wisconsin ranks 23rd. Can you guess? What states? What what state might be a top uh, top one for fire firearms owners? Any guess? Uh, Texas. Uh, okay, you got the right idea without West, but uh, Texas. No, Texas is not in the top five. Texas is actually ranked. I can't even find it here, but it's not in the top five. Uh, shoot, guess again. Montana. Bingo. Okay. Come on, Sam. You got a little ring. Bingo. Wow, look at you. You got two out of the top five. Keep going. You're on a roll. You're like butter. You're on a roll. Yep. Call me butter. I'm on a roll. Har, har, Uh, har, har. That's one of your jokes. (laughs) And it's a damn good one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We we got some good ones. We're a hoot. How about Colorado? No, not Colorado. Uh, okay. So we so got Montana, Wyoming, Utah. I don't know. Bingo, Utah. Okay. <laughs> How about that? Okay. You three correct and two wrong. Okay, you're you are really on a roll. Keep it going two left, Tom, for the top five. Oh boy, I don't know. Right now our listeners are out there. Too yeah. bad you don't have a lifeline. You can I call give, out. I, I give up. Why don't you tell uh, us, Danny? Well, r- right next to Montana, um, was well, is, is it next to, no, Utah, Idaho. Is that? Oh, yeah, Idaho. Okay. Idaho, okay. Idaho, and uh, I could make a joke about that. I'm not going to. Arizona is the other one. You know, I was going to say Arizona. I was yeah, because your, your son yeah. used to live out there, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Arizona. Okay, now, you, you did really well, Tom. I'm always impressed with your vast knowledge. How about the five worst states for gun owners? Uh, Delaware? No, but you're close. Con- you're talking out east. Connecticut? What? No, you're, but you're, the, you're in the right part of the country, eastern okay, part. I, okay, it's over there. It's out east on the east coast. Correct. <laughs> All of those. All of those. All those. Yeah. Oh, Okay. How about uh, New York? Oh, yeah, why not? Yeah, New York. How about New Jersey? Of course. How about Massachusetts? There you go. 
And now, okay, now think West Coast. Oh, California. California, okay, yeah. You know, who in the heck would live in California is, you know, my sister-in-law, I mean, my, my niece lives in L.A. She loves it. I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to go to California. I mean, the northern forested area, I guess, is really beautiful and nice and a lot of wildlife. But I guess, you know, if you look at gun ownership, you find a lot of the, I guess you would say, conservative-leaning people have a lot of guns, whereas the liberal-leaning people don't want them. Yeah. That's what it seems like, you know, yeah. And and, And then here's the other one, Hawaii. Now, you wouldn't think Hawaii. I know their their governor, she's a real piece of work, uh, if I'm thinking of the right lady that's the governor over there. Or maybe it's a congresswoman or something from, or senator from, yeah, I, I know, uh, yeah, she's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, not too popular in, in Dan Bush's world with some of the comments I hear from her. So, yeah, Hawaii, I guess, is not a good one. Uh, right now, I think we got a caller, Tom. All righty. Let's go to Dan in Milwaukee. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Dan. Morning, guys. Morning. Hey, I wanted to ask uh, Bushy, uh, earlier this year you mentioned something about soaking your crankbaits and with uh, some smelt or suckers. Yeah, uh, I, I, I took this crazy idea, and I'll tell you what, it, I got a 14-and-a-half-pound walleye, so it sure didn't hurt. If right. it didn't help, it didn't hurt. Uh, what I did was I took my uh, crankbaits, my Husky Jerks and Smithwick Rogues and so forth, and right before the uh, the uh, Bay of Green Bay and the Fox River opened up, I uh, actually took smelt that I had used uh, pike fishing, and I actually I actually threw uh, actually threw my crankbaits in with the smelt, and uh, by the time I pulled them out. And, and actually, I put one smelt in my tackle box for about a week. And you'd open up that tackle box, and yes, it would reek of smelt or, or fish smell. And you could put your, if I took, put my, even though it's a hard bait, if I put my nose to the bait, I could faintly smell smelt. Now, it might sound a stupid thing to do because you're thinking, well, those fish are sight feeding. But I do believe after the spawn on the Bay of Green Bay that one of the major food sources for them is going to be smelt and alewives as well. So that was my plan, and I stuck with it, and uh, it sure didn't hurt. So any time you got some crazy idea, uh, right. you should go with it. I was going to contact our good friends at Baitmade and tell them they should make a smelt type scent i think a lot of yeah i would think a lot of pike anglers would use it in the winter time you know put use a hot dog and spray some smelt scent on there (laughs) wow i I was gonna ask uh do you think that would be uh that would work out on pewaukee or the area lakes trolling for muskies uh maybe with uh suckers or yeah you know i i I really i really don't know i i guess you know obviously uh you know, that smelt aren't necessarily a part of the uh, food chain in an inland lake like Pewaukee, right. but uh, as far That's as I'm like concerned... Suckers, maybe, or uh, another yeah, bait fish, it, even bluegills or something, who knows? Yeah, Just it, you know what? It, it, it sure wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I'd say try it. It sure wouldn't hurt, because also, who knows whether... The... I think, by and large, they're sight feeders. I do. They sense vibrations with their lateral line. But my thought is this on it, Dan... 
If you've got a fish, as we've all seen muskies follow, uh, and other fish do it too, with its nose right to the bait. I mean, right yeah. to the bait. Maybe just whatever other primordial sense that you're going to exactly. trigger, it, it maybe that would just be the, you know, it's just going to tip the scale. Who knows? That, so, that's my yeah. thought on it as well. And uh, I also I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the really deep area out on Pewaukee trolling. Uh, do you think those fish are under that 30-foot depth? Uh, I, I like to troll out there uh, 20, 22 feet down, but I don't really want to catch any fish deeper than 30 feet. So here's here's what I've what I've been told is uh, and I talked to the DNR about this years ago. Once you get past 25 feet deep, the dissolved oxygen is really low on Pewaukee. So from from what I understand, that would not be the best area for uh, uh, the pike or the muskie to be in. Uh, typically, now I've got a gauge, temperature gauge, which I've used all the way down to the, to the deepest part of the lake. And if you've got about high 70s on top, typically if you get down to about 20 feet, it'll be right around the 70 degree mark. It's not as drastic a thermocline as what people would think would lead you to believe. I mean, Pewaukee's not super deep. I don't think it lay, gets in layers, those stratifies quite as much. I mean, it gets mixed up. It's only 47 feet deep. So there is obviously a thermocline. It, it does get cooler. But I, I, uh, I prefer trolling basically anywhere from about, you know, 10 to 20 feet down. Uh, I don't ever troll deeper than 20 feet out there. So you don't use any depth raises or any deeper... Uh working baits oh uh, i do i know? use deep i use deeper working baits but i'm i'm not going to put out 150 feet of line or put <laughs> right, it on a right. downrigger to get it down to 25 feet deep um okay. you know once again when i was told you know the dnr guy told me this i don't know 25 years ago but he basically said there's not much dissolved oxygen below 25 feet so if i'm marking a fish on the bottom and 40 feet of water, I'm not thinking that's a muskie or a pike. I'm thinking that's a carp or a catfish or something, but not a muskie or a pike. I, I don't think that that's the optimal conditions for them to be that deep on Pewaukee. I I, maybe I'm wrong, year, but that's just me. I just me. thought this time of year with the hotter temps that they might be trying to look for some cooler water and uh, hiding yeah. that deeper, deeper stuff. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, you know, they, the, the pike are ones that go for the cooler more than the muskies. Um, you know, muskies uh, aren't aren't as affected. Big pike really need that deep, cool water. And, and you're right, they, you know, something down 60 degrees. But that's why Pewaukee really isn't, I mean, there are pike here, but I don't consider Pewaukee an ideal pike body of water. I consider more of an ogliotrophic body of water, something that's, uh, you know, one of those deeper, clearer waters bodies of water with the deeper cooler temperature zones those you know more like a okachi or maybe even okanamuak those i think would be more ideally suited for big pike um right but but yeah i mean you try trolling down deep try trolling shallow mid-range deep and everywhere in between who knows oh, yeah, where you I've, might find them that's what i've been doing but uh, it's just the last three or four trips it's been kind of slow so i was just trying to think of a new tactic to give a give a try out there yeah, I, I get most mine trolling 17, 18 feet down. All right. Yeah. Do you have any hot lures? That's the other thing I wanted to ask. Any hot lures that you could share? Yeah, I would. Uh, the 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 4-inch the slammers uh, that you, you can get them, I believe, 
you know, well, Smokey's yep. Musky Shop used to have them. Now, now it's switched hands, but I believe they, they still, still call them. it. They still have them. Yeah, the four-inch, yep. uh, the four-inch deep diving and the shad pattern. And uh, you know, just buy those in a you know in a bunch of different colors. You never know what's going to work best. Um, but try those, and uh, and typically those 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 work. If you can find any of the old Bagley DB4 crankbaits that they made 20 years ago when they still ran straight, those were good right. as well. Okay, eBay, I appreciate all the info, guys. Yeah, find the Bagleys on eBay. So yeah. All right. Thanks for calling. Yep. You bet. Thanks. All I right, guess I we guess got another caller, go Sam. What? Yeah, let's we take another... a, we'll take a break, and then we'll get to it. It's our good buddy, Dennis, in Boulder Junction. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, he we understands. we got to take a break first, so we'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. It's the To the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors, presented by Bait Mate Fish Attractant. And uh, we're on the last segment. We're on the final rails of our crazy train ride today. Thanks for everybody for getting on board. And uh, right now, I think we've got patiently waiting our Boulder Junction connection there, Tom. All righty. Let's talk to Dennis. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Dennis. How's it up there in God's country? Absolutely beautiful. We got through the storms, and now we've got absolutely perfect weather. And uh, if you want to get up here now in the next day, the weather is supposed to be nice for at least 10 days. And bass fishing is unbelievable right now if you want to catch a lot of large and smallmouth bass. It's been very good in walleye fishing. It's been very good on plastic now. We're starting to use plastic in about 18, 20 feet of water, and we're starting to catch some nice walleyes on on plastic jigs, so it's it's really great weather, and and we're looking for forward to uh, at least ten days of this, according to the weatherman. And if you can believe the weatherman, so hey, does it get real busy up there by you uh, Labor Day weekend? Tom, it's been busy from the beginning of spring uh, Memorial Day weekend on, unbelievable all all uh, all summer long, all spring long. Uh, our room tax is way above uh, average uh, than what we've ever had before. Uh, there's a lot of people up here. I made a trip to Hayward yesterday. I haven't been to the museum for lots of years, and I had to get over there to see one of my friends, uh, uh, Dwayne Horseman, who's in the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to get some pictures of standing next to his picture and just look through some of that, and the, and the town of Hayward was just a zoo. It was a, there's just a lot of people up here. I think they got house atosis. They've been tied up for so long, and, and Canada's not really open yet. And there's just a lot of people up here vacationing, fishing, having a good time. Yeah, and I hear that uh, there's some businesses in the in the cities in northern Wisconsin that the businesses have to close down because they can't find enough help. That's exactly right. Uh, in Monaco, we've got uh, a large restaurant that's uh, the Paul Bunyan restaurant uh, closed down for the summer. Yeah, uh, that's what I heard. Paul Bunyan closed down because they didn't have enough help. Yeah, exactly right. We There's just not enough help around, and we get a lot of foreign help here, and that was a problem at the beginning of spring, and uh, they get the visas for even foreign help, but there's just there's just uh, no help, and, and the people that are running these restaurants and bars and, and, and shops are just running out of gas. They... Uh, 
it's just it's a big problem right now all over, but it's especially up here. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I appreciate you calling this morning and giving us an update. Sounds like things are going well for you. Do very well, and I'm going to try and get out in the boat this afternoon. I I have uh, some commitments this morning, but I'm planning on being in the boat this afternoon, so maybe I'll have some stories for you in the next couple of days. All right. Well, good luck to you. All right. Talk to you guys later. Nice talking with you. All right. Thanks. Take care, buddy. All right, Danny, I got a couple of emails. Okay. One of them, real quick, says, The Meps Fury, the number five French blade with feather teaser. Black blade, yellow spots, fire tiger also. That and the Johnson Minnow with Uncle Josh Frog. Big Pike, love them. Take care, Dan and Tom. Hope to see you on the water. That's from James. Uh, and then, this is, a, this, this is funny. I, I was reading this earlier. Mark sent us something. It's just the title is Stupidity. Now, I read this before we came on the show. A woman who was using a gun's laser slice sight to play with a cat accidentally shoots her friend in the thigh. Okay, she didn't think the, the 9 millimeter was loaded. She's pressing the laser. She's playing with a cat. The cat's chasing the laser. She squeezes the trigger and shoots her friend in the thigh. It's like, you know, people got to know a little bit more about guns, Danny. A little bit more respect, respectful with guns. And she was uh, only 19 years old. Probably didn't know much about guns, you know. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's too bad that, uh, uh, you know, everybody should, you know, take hunter safety or gun safety, uh, uh, those type of things. I mean, hunter safety was the best thing as a kid because they always drilled into your head, treat every gun as if it's loaded, you know, never yep. always point in a safe direction. Um, and you get, you know, you get kids finding guns, everybody, you know, even not kids finding guns, and they just pull them out and start waving them around and pointing them at people. And, yeah, and, it's, and, that's too bad. And, of course, alcohol was involved. <laughs> oh, jeez. That, that, God, some people, I'm telling you. Yeah, fi that, firearms and alcohol defi definitely do not, definitely don't mix. No, they do not. So I thank Mark for sending that uh, headline in. That was in the Waukesha Freeman, but I saw it on uh, on the Internet. I was looking at the news before we came on the air, and I just thought, man, oh, man, how, how dumb some people are, you know? My goodness. Yep. It's I mean, just... I can see playing with the cat with the laser pointer as long as you know the gun's not loaded, <laughs> you know. But well, you know, oh, I in playing with. I had a buddy of mine. He had kind of a goofy dog, and years ago he'd take a flashlight and shine a light against the wall, and the dog would be going for the light against the wall, and he'd keep moving the flashlight all over the place like crazy. Yeah. You know, like like moving back and forth, kind kind of like those alien UFO ships play. You know, the TikTok <laughs> videos play with our fighter pilots where they zoom all over the place. Yeah, well, he'd be zooming yeah. that light all over the wall, and the dog would go nuts. Uh oh. They should, yeah, they should they should have some kind of a rule where you can't torment those poor animals that way. Yeah, I know it. It does. It, you know, it does torment them. I think too. But anyway, that's all I got for this week, Danny. Until next week, I bid you adieu.
Well, that's good, Tom. I'm glad you're going to sign off and go talk to the rabbits. That's all I got as well. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.